You know what really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Talk about punk. What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Auto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we choose one year at random and select one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year to discuss. And today's episode is our third and final in the installment of Summer Albums, our Summer Concert Series. I've not figured out exactly how to word this one, but just our, our Summer Season. Which is funny to say, because it's an actual season. Yeah, we're only like halfway through it, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's been hot here lately. Uh, and it's got, we haven't even hit August yet, which is usually when it's the worst here. I oh. saw, uh, this ties into the, our album, actually, um, <laughs> almost perfectly. Uh, it's, it's been like, it's been kind of hitting the 90s, upper 80s, 90s, been pretty hot here uh, lately, and leaving for work it was like 90 degrees yesterday and i saw somebody walking down the street in my neighborhood in uh i mean you wouldn't call it a suit but a blazer uh and slacks and um like a fedora walking down the street (laughs) a young person like they were carrying a tote bag so like you're not the m'lady type (laughs) it was odd didn't really make sense looked like uh ronnie martin from joy electric Uh, in a fedora and a suit. I was like, it is the wrong temperature for that outfit. You do you. I'm not judging you for for dressing that way. It's fine. But yeah, dress for the weather. (laughs) Uh, The weather in North Carolina, it's just humid. It's not like even like technically like temperature wise the hottest place. But God, it's fuck. like I get it. Summer like in Texas and like stuff like that where like it's deadly heat because you don't realize how you know, dehydrated you're getting as you're in it. Like the people die in that heat way more than they die in the heat here in North Carolina. But I think it's because in North Carolina, you're like, oh, it feels horrible. (laughs) You're (laughs) like, oh, dear Lord, let me go inside to dry (laughs) off. (laughs) Yeah, because the thing about (laughs) you sweat and then it's supposed to evaporate off of your body to cool you down. Well, here you just sweat and it just stays on your body. And so you don't actually cool down. Your sweat just gets hot. <laughs> yeah, the dew point is just like, nah, nah, it's just going <laughs> to condense. <laughs> so, yeah, we're not doing we're not doing heat Olympics. We're not trying to, like, say, I've got it worse than you. They're all bad in completely different ways. Um, I just think in the South, you're like immediately going to be like, oh, no. <laughs> Whereas in the summer, you're like, why am I dying? <laughs> it's not as wet here, but there's so much asphalt. Yeah. And it is a little bit more humid than like Phoenix was because Phoenix, it could get up to 100. It get it could get over 100. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I don't feel horrible, but it hits like 90 here. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's more like North Carolina here. Yeah. So, yeah, our summer season, we're we're trying a new thing where we do these these like short term little seasons. I say we tried a new thing. We did these literally our first year and didn't even realize it with our Halloween spectacular. <laughs> We pick a themed season. Uh, so the theme is albums that make you think of the summer or our summery or just have some summer imagery. Uh, we started off with Dusk and Summer by Dashboard Confessional. 
follow that up with Conspiracy of One by The Offspring. And uh, today will be our third installment in that series. But before we get to that, if you head over to our Patreon for one dollar, you get access to all of our weekly bonus audio. And last week we did an I'm listening where Dylan and I go through the albums that we listened to over the last month and a half because it's been a minute since we've done a uh, I'm listening there. But you also get access to the Moon Pies for Misfits video series where I try drinks. And then you also get an, a link to the Discord where we have a pretty fun little community building growing over there. Um, I wanted to say this in the group, but uh, I'll say it here. We have some really cool people in that group. And like when I hear about like their backgrounds and what they do for a living and like we've got some like people who do like jobs for a living that actually help people and contribute to society. And then I'm I, it's I've we've cultivated this like interesting group of people that is just like, oh, wow, like college professionals. We have multiple college professionals tied to our our sh- silly little show. We've got social worker types and i think we have multiple of those too like it's just like people who just like are really nice and kind people who like <laughs> help people for a living <laughs> yeah and my job now is i make the tv go <laughs> i make sure the commercials play <laughs> like that's our priority is to make sure the commercials are on time i go trout tartar <laughs> To Obama uh, and his some, kids. <laughs> when someone goes, what's this? Uh, the dish I just said. <laughs> that is what it is. It's what you ordered. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. We're lucky to have like a really cool group of people that we get to interact with on a regular basis. So just wanted to throw that out there. And if you want to join in on the chat, just head over to our Patreon and you get access to it. You can join us and talk about all sorts of fun stuff. Today's topic was canceled bands. So that was. <laughs> There's a big one that just happened last night. Yeah. And uh, we're not going to name it because why? I'm not giving them a press. But uh, hey, yeah. Well, yeah. nothing even official, you know. Yeah. Yet at this point. So best not to. I mean, by the time this episode goes, goes out, it may be confirmed. But we're not going to. We're not in the future. And yeah, I don't. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, what what else is in the news uh, that's also a downer? R.I.P. Rick Froberg. That was, oh my, that hurt. <laughs> yeah, Rick Froberg of Hot Snakes, uh, Drive Like Jay, who Pitchfork, The Obits, other bands, of course, artists as well. Yeah, passed away a couple weeks ago. We really had two, uh, because not only did Rick Froberg passed away, but Mean Pete from Remembering Never and Ex Bishop X, and he also had a million projects too. He just passed away too. His was cancer, unfortunately. It had gone into remission at one point last year, I think, and then it came back, unfortunately. But yeah, it's just like I I considered saying like let's do an episode on one of their albums, but then I was like I also think it might be too sad to do <laughs> right now, maybe in a year or something like that. But I also did want to be like these were two. Very different people, uh, very different scenes in in general. But they were like Rick, massively influential artist and musician and inspired so many people and just its unique way of playing guitar and released some incredible, incredible albums. Yeah, that was that one was a shocker because that was just like a in a sleep situation, I think. So or it was like a natural causes thing. Yeah, uh, it was a undiagnosed heart condition. Yeah, I think was 
what I had read. Uh, very big shock. Very unexpected. Hot Snakes was like kind of working on stuff, I think. Mm. I don't know if anything got recorded. Uh, I don't know how far that was. But there was more than likely going to be another Hot Snakes record soonish uh, from what I've gathered. What a career, though. Uh, huge legacy. I mean, Pitchfork, Hot Snakes, Drive Like Jehu, Obits, a great visual artist and all around stand up dude on all accounts from everyone I've ever heard. Anyone that's worked with him has loved working with him. Huge loss. And then remembering never were I, they used to be like a really big band, a really important band for like hardcore metalcore type stuff. Um, I think they're like their name has kind of been kind of forgotten slightly from the era. They didn't, they didn't ever feel like they ever had like a huge, though they did like a re a comeback album a couple years ago. Efrano has been 10 years <laughs> since that happened, but it was literally 2013. Yeah. Yeah. So 10 years ago. Yeah. They did that. And I, I they never felt like they made like that waves coming back um, that they probably should have though. X Bishop X was kind of like the next wave. And I, maybe even like more lasting impression. I feel like those Bishop records were, I don't know, maybe are maybe more talked about now than the remembering never records, but either way, all, incredible musician, just like if, if he was a vocalist in those bands. And like he had, I remember, cause I think remembering never is on that black flag tribute album. You know, the one that like Zayo is on and converge and all those other bands are on. Yeah. Remembering Never is on there, too. And I remember listening to that record and hearing Pete's like vocal style and hearing again later, too. And like X Bishop X, he had the type of hardcore voice that I wish that I could have done. Like the, he always had like the vocals that I was like, man, if I was in a hardcore band right now, I would I would try and do this kind of thing. I don't know that I could <laughs> if it would have been one that I could have done. But I just I always loved his like style of singing and. By all accounts, he was just a really awesome person and like funny. And we're, you know, we know people who've known him personally and talked with him and yeah, worked on projects with him. And it's just like he just seemed like he was really awesome and really cool, really fun guy. So I feel like we should we should mention those. There were two pretty big ones that happened. So. And then like there's there's a lot, you know, it happens. Um, there was a, a producer who passed away who did a lot of stuff in North Carolina, Caleb Southern. Um, he produced albums by Ben Folds Five and Archers of Loaf. He, I think, produced he produced Icky Metal, the first Archers of Loaf album. He, I think, he did he did incidental music by Super Chunk. He did Polvo's EP from '96. He had like a doctorate and he was like a professor in Georgia and just like he was he was really instrumental for those Ben Folds records. But I, I definitely wanted to mention him too, just because of his involvement in all the North Carolina bands too. And he was only like 50-something, too. So a lot of unexpected deaths, unfortunately. Um, Pete's maybe a little more expected, but still not, you know, all the less painful. But, yeah, I don't know. Just wanted to mention a couple of those. But now to transfer into our stupid show. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, here's this goofy show where we go, um, I didn't really like it. <laughs> For 45 minutes. <laughs> It was a little too not good. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, our summer series. Uh, I hope people have enjoyed this series. I, I've, I've enjoyed doing like setting parameters on the type of records we choose. I keep thinking of like different ones to do in the future. So I definitely want to do them more often, uh, especially if it's going to be like you and me more frequently until like I can 
fucking stabilize my schedule or something changes. But <laughs> it might just be you and me for the rest of the show's running. Who cares? But uh, don't tell them that we'll lose all of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I like these. I like these, like giving us like a set of rules to follow to try and find something. But even then, we're still like real loose on it. And you told me dealer's choice on what year to assign you. And so I gave you 1992. And um, I, for one, would like to apologize for giving you such a bad year to try and choose from. <laughs> oh, well, that'll only take you a second. <laughs> uh, yeah, you really did. You gave me one of the worst years. I knew it when, too. When you sent me 92, I was like, oh, good, a hard one. Oh, I didn't realize it was even supposed to be a hard one. Uh, I don't know. I guess I've forgotten every time we've covered 1992 in the past that it's like, woof, <laughs> a desert. <laughs> it's it's like 90 to 94. Honestly, probably some late 80s to 94. It's 93. I mean, 94 is where it kind of picks up again. There's there's no big notable records that would probably be easy to pick. They probably would have fit our theme very well. But yeah, 92 is not great. It is <laughs> there's good, you know, there's important stuff. There always is. It's the caveat that we always make. I guess it's always worth reiterating whenever we say that it's not a good year, that it's just it's not a dense year. It does. The bench is not deep. Yeah, I think that's always been our I think people have been like, I remember good, good records coming out that year. It's like, there's good records every year. I think it's our density is really the thing that we're referring to with that. And it's sometimes. Like a, well, yeah, go ahead. A wealth. It's not a wealth of amazing albums, but there's like probably like 10 to 20 that you would be like, fuck, yeah, that record rules. But like. Once you're past that 20, you're like, what else? Uh, <laughs> nothing. But 92 is also where there's like kind of bigger name stuff. Some of it's like maybe not that one. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to do Ignition by the Offspring because we just did the Offspring. Um, <laughs> Which probably would have actually fit our summer theme a little bit. Yeah, I gave you the summer theme and you're like, what else are we going to talk? Like you picked the record you did and you're like, what else is there to talk about? <laughs> right. Like, I could stretch and make Generator by Bad Religion work on the auspices that it's skate punk, but we can't just, like, broadly categorize all skate punk as summer Summer. music. (laughs) Though, I was at a restaurant in town. They opened a second location in the old CC's Pizza. It's also a pizza restaurant. My Hickory... (laughs) It's already set up for it. This town loves to put the exact same type of business inside of a building that housed the failed version of that business that, right before. There's a specifically one location that was three pizza places in a row before turning into a Japanese restaurant, then a Chinese restaurant, then a Thai, then a, a, a Vietnamese restaurant. Now it's an Indian restaurant. And the Indian one is succeeding because it's literally the only one we have. But <laughs> but like CC's Pizza closes and they're like, you know what would do really well here? A pizza buffet. So they put in another pizza buffet. I mean, luckily, I like this place. There are other locations better, but because it doesn't feel like you're in a CC's pizza still <laughs> over there. But on the screen, they were showing like ESPN, and I guess ESPN was uh, has nothing good on right now. So they were doing a big X Games retrospective. So like lots of skateboarding and motocross and bikes. And I'm just like, I used to watch so much X Games in the summer when we were younger. And I was like, that's the perfect summer sport. But then I'm also like, it ha- X Games happens in the summer. It's punk music is like the, th- the thing that goes into it. So I think that's why I tie skate punk to summer so much. It's because it's so skate punk. You know, you need warm weather typically to do so. 
as far as summer records, I did. I think I did send you 40 Ounces to Freedom by Sublime because I was like, <laughs> it's literally the most summer record. Smoke two joints in the morning. I smoke two joints at night. I smoke two joints in the afternoon. It makes me feel all right. <laughs> but then Never we were made. like, uh, Skagist is right around the corner. <laughs> yeah. And you could make the case for Sublime not being exactly a ska record, not strictly a ska record, but it was it was close enough that I was just like, uh, let me see what else there is. It was definitely like, if I can't find anything else that I can't make work, then I'm probably going to go with this one anyway, and we'll just kick off Skagas a little early. But there's Mondo Bizarro by the Ramones. <laughs> like just because it's a Ramones is it summary you know that one's got poison heart it's got strength uh, to endure it's, the album art's red I think too like the color of an album color cover tends to also influence that but it also came out in September and I don't know yeah it just didn't feel quintessentially summer or even a Ramones record that I felt that compelled to, to talk about if we were going to do a late Ramones record that's not the one I'd pick I could I could have made a case for the end of silence by the Rollins band. It does have a sun on the cover. Yeah. And but it's a different kind of summer vibe. And it didn't come out in the summer. Yeah. It came out in February. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I saw that had like flames on it. And I was like, that kind of makes it summery, I guess. Yeah, I think I kept hitting garage rock <laughs> stuff. I was like, I, I think when I gave you my selection, you were I was like, what else? Did, did you want to do a mummies record? <laughs> uh, surf. Because I don't want to do a mummies record. <laughs> That'd probably be like the one to do, too. That's like the only mummies album cover that is familiar to me. It And it is. If there was a Mummies record, yeah, that would be the one. And sometime we'll probably do that record. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> really? we ever come back to 1992. <laughs> I... It's not high on my comeback list. <laughs> no. And I and I I was very close on picking the Gories out of here. Another garage rock record, punk blues kind of thing. Because I was like, I know there's stuff on there that I like. And I started it and I listened to maybe the first three songs. And I was like, first song, it's okay. Uh, second song, there, bo- there But For The Grace Of God Go I, is a really good song. I, I really like that song. I knew that song before. Uh, but then like on the third song, I was like, uh, all right, I don't really want to do this record. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to be able to talk very much about most garage punk records uh but the gories that's that's one i would pick so it was close but not enough to put me over the edge yeah i was looking through and i was like okay if if it was my turn to choose something and i had the summer theme restrictions i was like i could make a case for somewhere between heaven and hell by social distortion i think that could kind of fit i was avoiding ska because i knew we were going to do skagist but also like ska is very summery music upbeat fun loud and 
I had two that I was like, I probably would have chosen one of these. And it probably would have been either Circa Now by Rocket from the Crypt. Or maybe Face to Face, Don't Turn Away. Probably not face to face, just because of the uh, we just did the offspring and the skate punk. So Rocket from the Crypt kind of always gave me that they have the garage thing too going on. So that's probably why that sounds like that makes me think like that too. But then I was like, what else non-punk is there? And there's a Juliana Hatfield album that came out that year too that I was like, that could be that could have fit. That's like the other sound that's not skate punk. It's not ska not garage rock is like power poppy sort of like twee sort of stuff jangly uh hey babe that's the 92 album by juliana hatfield i think that one could have been it's bright enough and upbeat enough that it kind of works but yeah yeah 1992 though yeah not a great year i was think i was almost thinking like do i go like out there do i do the beastie boys record do i do (laughs) yeah uh, there's a Chumbawamba record, <laughs> you know, but no, no, I went with something else and you'll see why when we talk about it. Uh, I really don't see much. Oh, Milk Milk Lemonade by Mr. T Experience. That was yeah. another one that I was like, that 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 could work. It's got lemonade in the title. It's got milk um, too in the title. <laughs> not a summer drink. Famously, milk, not great in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Anchorman quote. <laughs> Yeah, you know me, big Anchorman head. <laughs> yeah, always referencing Anchorman and Dodgeball and <laughs> two movies. Oh, and Step Brothers. Step Brothers. Three movies we saw in the theater when they came out. I remember seeing Anchorman and being like, "Why is no one laughing at the actually funny jokes? <laughs> They're laughing at the dumb ones." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you want to talk about the actual album? Let's get into it. So I gave you 1992 with the summer series parameters, and you selected Tropic of Scorpio by Girls Against Boys. Set breaks. 
couple stats on the band. Formed in 1989 in Washington, D.C., this is the band's debut full-length album, released December 2nd, 1992 on Adult Swim Records. And the person on this album is Alexis Fleissig on drums, Eli Janney on sampler, bass, and vocals, Scott McLeod on guitar and vocals, and Johnny Temple on bass. And the album was produced by Eli Janney. And hmm, trying to decide where to go. Uh, let's throw in the, the, the extra credits. Chris Thompson of Ignition and Circus Lupus provides backing vocals. Nathan Larson of Shudder to Think provides trumpet and backing vocals. And then Luke Wood, who had previously joined the band Girls Against Boys when they relocated to New York. He provides some guitar on the album, but left before the album was completed. So those are the main people involved. Should we give more of a background on the band before we get into our personal histories with them? Yeah, let's let's talk about the story of Girls Against Boys. It is very much in line with the story of many Washington, D.C. spinoff bands. So Girls Against Boys formed originally by Eli Janney and Brendan Canty. Uh, Eli Janney uh, was in the band Rain and sibling to Eddie Janney of Rites of Spring and then Brendan Canty of Fugazi. So this was a side project because... Eli was doing, I guess he was doing Rain, because the Rain album came out in 1990, EP, the Vash Writ, which we did an episode on, that that EP rules. And so it was just kind of like, we want to do something different. We got, we you know, we got our main bands, but like, let's let's play around and do some fun stuff. So they recruit, they originally were called Skinned, and they recruited Scott McCloud of Soulside. He was also in Rain as well. And the band cha- uh, changed their name to Girls Against Boys in 1989. And like so, so it was also like a side project for Scott with Soulside. And then when Soulside broke up, he brought in Johnny Temple and Alexis Fleissig from Soulside. So like the band is like three members from Soulside at this point. They released their first EP in 1990. It's called 90s vs. 80s, which basically means they recorded some songs in the late 80s and then recorded some other songs in the 90s. And then they just put them together on an EP together and called it 80s versus 90s. And then uh, Brendan Canty, he would leave Fugazi to be like, hey, uh, Fugazi's uh, kind of more important, so I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then the band relocated to New York City. They added their second guitarist, Luke Woods, who then, like I said, left before. So this band consists of a lot of people in the DC punk scene that were known at this point. You know, like they had done maybe not the biggest stuff. Like, I guess Brendan was probably the biggest star of the band but he leaves so early on in the history that he's more just like an interesting footnote in the history of the band yeah i think girls against boys is notable particularly for being kind of that part of i would say the first wave of what would be discord the discord era dc post-hardcore punk scene because they're you know they're they're post-revolution summer and it, it kind of forms in this late 80s period where all of those you know all of those hardcore guys that then like made emo and then immediately like hated that they created this genre um (laughs) and they decided it's like they all decided no more emotions (laughs) now we are intelligent um (laughs) we're intellectual hardcore bands I mean, and it's probably just like, you know, a generation of punks like maturing and they're all like in this scene together and they're all talking about the stuff that they're into with each other and and trading records with each other uh, and just being like, 
here, listen to this jazz LP or, you know, <laughs> whatever it is that they they were getting into. Yeah, these would be guys who would probably be, what, late 20s, turning 30s at this point? Yeah, mid to late 20s, probably by 92. I, yeah, and, and you've got some people over 30. Because how old is uh, how old is Ian Mackay in 92? I guess kind of your benchmark. He was born in 79. No, he was born in. That's not right at all. He was he would have been a literal toddler. <laughs> uh, he was born in 62. Um, he would have been 30 in 1992. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah. You had a few people a little older, a few people a little younger. But yeah, they were all pretty young when like hardcore hit DC and like formed that entire scene. Just about yeah. everybody in there was young. Yeah, I mean, they were called Minor Threat because they were minors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like we're, yeah, I guess when you hit your 30s, that's when you start to be like, well, I think it starts more in your early, your late 20s where you like start to form like, oh, I, here is my false sense of like, I am much smarter and erudite than. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like fine art and jazz now. And like, that's when you start doing that thing. Yeah. And I mean, it's when you put it into the I think when you put that I mean, that's a thing that people do. Music people do in particular. We're just like, I'm going to listen to a new age or you know, you're just like explore, exploring beyond the parameters of whatever subculture I'm, you came from. I'm really into kraut rock now and yeah. cinema cinema veritas. <laughs> but I think that. When you look at 80s hardcore, what what so much of DC is, is, well, we're not that like from the beginning. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, no, not that we're, <laughs> we're a hardcore band, but not like that. <laughs> we're going to go sing about feelings now. <laughs> yeah, I think the way the DC hardcore scene evolved was in reaction to being like, well, we don't want to be like Boston and New York. Yeah. <laughs> and L.A. was far enough away that they probably L.A. and D.C. had more in common, I think, because uh, there are a lot of weirdos in the L.A. scene, too. So, yeah. And and L.A. always had like a, a performative aspect to its like gross, dark, you know, violent thing aspects. It's it's very Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. It's fake. Whereas, like, yeah, your New York and your Boston is like, oh, these people are awful. <laughs> so really, DC is it's throughout the 80s. It's constantly like kind of like changing what it is, what its sound is. And it's interesting how everyone was along for the ride. Yeah. Like nobody held on to minor threat style hardcore. They mm-hmm. all turned into emo core bands. From yeah, there, yeah. they all turned into post-hardcore bands. What's Ian say we are now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are they doing? Oh, okay. I guess I got to learn to play funk bass? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot more. Like, yeah, the 90s is when, like, you start bringing in, like, the other, the other sounding stuff. It is probably Fugazi's fault. Like, all right, now it's Lungfish's time to shine, you know? Yeah, and Soulside were a band that I don't really have any real, like, resonance with. I don't know. I don't know. There's, st- I've heard some stuff by them, but they are, they felt very much like a, and they were there too, band. Like, the almost the also-rans. 
not trying to be disrespectful to anybody in the band. Like they're clearly talented musicians. And like Soulside's back now too. Like they put out like a new record. Wild. But I do love that Rain album, that Rain EP. So like Eli Janney and and Scott McCloud being on that, it's like very much. I was like, oh, okay, okay. Girls Against Boys is, is not technically a spinoff of Rain, but I can. That's my only real connection to Girls Against Boys because. I guess we can do the personal history side of things. I don't think I've ever listened to a Girls Against Boys album before. I have heard songs, but no like real like strong even idea of what they sound like. The New York thing is, I guess, makes more sense to what I know about them. Like I, I could see them fitting in with the New York sound of the mid '90s more so. But yeah, like my history with Girls Against Boys is essentially non-existent and rain being my like real connection to these musicians overall where where what do you where's your where do you get in on girls against boys so i have only listened to their last album and this album and i've heard stuff from other albums but i've listened to you can't fight what you can't see the last album in full it's the only other one that i've like completely listened to and i enjoyed it it's it's odd and and the thing that like girls against boys i they have this like industrial current kind of throughout there's like a new york noise rock and a little bit of like an industrial rock and maybe a little kraut rock influence i'm not sure what they were like listening to exactly uh when they were working on those records but they they've always had a lot of the stuff that I've heard, it's very like groove based and it's very like, you know, like an alternative dance industrial kind of influence going on. So I I just think of them as being I think I've probably described them as Hardy Boys theme song hardcore. <laughs> uh, Hardy Boys intro music. <laughs> It's just got that vibe, that energy to it. 90s industrialness. And for all we know, that Hardy Boys theme is just a music library song. Yeah. Anybody can use that song, which I find very hilarious that that uh, <laughs> the WWF using just library music for them, le- leading to uh, anybody can just use that song, including AEW, where they now work. But yeah. Which I remember hearing it on like a commercial on the radio as like yeah. a teenager. I was like, oh, that's the Hardys theme. <laughs> For all we know, Girls Against Boys wrote that. <laughs> they were in some movies. Gas tank. It must be the pump. 
Um, but the other, the other, the other aspect of Girls Against Boys that I've kind of like been able to put my finger on is they're weird. They're like Shudder to Think weird, uh, which the Shudder to Think connection makes sense. They're just like they come from hardcore, but they're trying to do a lot of stuff that isn't hardcore at all. And there's just like a like there's a veneer of like I'm trying to think of what to call it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the faux intellectual thing that we touched on with the with the Discord DC sound. It's like artiste hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, their name Girls Against Boys was another thing too that I was like they've always confused me because I'm just like who's this band? Is this Boy Sets Fire? Is this boys hits car? Is this boys like girls? Is this his car versus driver? Like I always got all of those bands mixed up. I would never do this. This on fire. (laughs) And like even their abbreviation, it's G V S B girls versus boys. But every time I see it, I just think guided by voices. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, ah, you're ah, like, I just, I don't know. Like, Definitely was just like, I'm com- I don't what is this band? <laughs> like, it just took me forever to figure out who they were and what they, their thing was. So, uh, OK, wh- what made you choose this album over like the Gories or the Mummies <laughs> or uh, Sublime's 40 ounces <laughs> to Fresno? <laughs> Wait, no, that, that's, the, that's the choice. Man. <laughs> Honestly, I just figured I'd enjoy it the most. Well, when you sent me the album cover, I was like, you got to pick that one because they're just, uh, yeah, it's, they're not on a beach, but they're like on like a pier or something, I bet, or a dock of some sort. Uh, they're all wearing sunglasses, right? And there's like palm trees and fronds yeah. and the Tropic of Scorpio being giving me like the tropical feel to it. Yeah. So I was like, well, you got to go with that one. So this is also yeah. partly my doing because I was like, you got to go with that one. The album cover is perfect for yeah. summer. <laughs> it's liter- It's the most literal choice uh yeah it's palm tree boys palm tree girls <laughs> that's my theme for summer <laughs> but just ultimately you think you're gonna like it more is the but reason. yeah i was and ultimately yeah, i was like i've heard some girls against boys stuff that i've liked i'm interested in them i would like to know more about them and listen to more of their discography i'm curious to see where they start and that was another thing i was like it's the first album so that's an extra point for it like that's always a good if we've never done a band on the show the first album is a good place to start with this you know, record. I might disagree, but maybe. Yeah. And I just started it. I started listening to it, too. Like, I was just like, oh, I'm interested. Let me play it to see. Like, I was, you know, and I think the second song I got like into the second song. I'm like, yeah, this is good. This is the one I want to talk about. This is going to be something that I can dig into because within those first two songs, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I know who they are. Uh, you know, I know there's a story in terms of like where the members come from and I could hear, I could hear similarities to other things that were going on, things that I like and other bands, um, that I can make comparisons to. So I was like, yeah, this feels like it's in my wheelhouse. I'm interested to see what it's all about. So yeah, you know, it's really, at this point, it's just like, it barely fits the theme and (laughs) I'm interested enough. So it's it was it's more of a mystery than a lot of other picks on the show tend to be, which is maybe like I think that works for the theme of our show. Yeah, I will say out of the three records that we selected for our summer series, well, we didn't choose the uh, dashboard confessional. That one was just accidentally part of our summer series. But 
I think The Offspring is the only one that I think kind of captures sonically the summer feel. There's moments on the Dashboard record that have it. I don't get it at all in this album. This record <laughs> is um, dark sounding. <laughs> I guess that's it. I, is the album cover ironic, too? I think that might be part of it. They're like, I mean, it's called Tropic Scorpio. So that's probably really what they're going for. But like the tropical visual imagery does not fit their sound at all. This feels like concrete and cold. <laughs> I wouldn't say it sounds cold, but it does sound dark. It's like a hot, uh, a hot night in the city is <laughs> how you would describe it. I think that's what they were going for. Just like an unpleasant <laughs> uh, midsummer night in New York City. <laughs> unpleasant is a very useful word to apply to this album. I don't know. Uh, we we kind of hinted at each other's. Uh, well, you outright said you liked it uh, to me in our chat in preparation for this. And I didn't say what I said, <laughs> what I thought about it. But I think you can tell where I'm going. Might go with it. Any guesses on what I thought of it before we actually get into it? I think that uh, you and I are going to have different interpretations of the description. Unpleasant. <laughs> Yours being more literal <laughs> and mine being more interpretive. <laughs> Metaphorical. Yeah. More artistic. <laughs> it's piquant. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't like this one. <laughs> I was not. I didn't feel this one. And when I was doing like research on this record, too, I was like, what is there to talk about this on top of me not liking it? Like, I'm, I'm like... I'm like, God, I sure hope you've got something to say about this album's music, because all I have to really talk about is the like band's history. <laughs> um, I mean, I, there's I guess there's ways to get into why I don't like it. But let's start with you. This is your selection. So what do you think about it? How's it how does it feel? How's it stack up for the other Girls Against Boys you've heard? So, yes, this is certainly not the more industrial like Hardy Boys music that I associated with Girls Against Boys, which I'm not too surprised. I mean, in listening to it, I mean, it's the first record. And so I was like, yeah, they probably just didn't find that. You know, they they talk about using samplers on here, but it's not as overt how they're being used to me. What I got mostly out of it, to me, it sounded like Hoover. Like, it sounded like the same kind of like yeah, bluesy, dark, noir jazz influenced uh post-hardcore stuff that um the hoover did with a with a little bit of a twist like hoover was maybe more extreme in their dynamics and this is a little tamer a little more focused but it's got the same kind of like rhythm section power to it like the drumming is great i think the drumming is really fun to listen to i think the bass playing is really interesting throughout it's definitely a very rhythmically interesting record which is something that does tie into what i do associate with girls against boys but just in a different way uh how do we describe their sound uh <laughs> definitely post hardcore not not too distant for what was going on in dc at the time not super different from like uh what fugazi was doing or what like your lung fishes and your Maybe Shudder to Think. Shudder to Think might be one of the more different ones. Yeah, I think it's closer to Lungfish from this time period, not as close to Fugazi from this time period, because Fugazi yeah. was still pretty hard. 
Yeah. In a lot of ways, this does remind me of like in hits and kind of like later Fugazi stuff more when they're going into the darker, slower, quieter stuff. Very, it very much reminds me of that stuff. And I think there's like this band is it's on this record is like, I want to say it's like DC hardcore guys trying to do like a Tom Waits thing with like a young Henry Rollins trying to be the idiot era Iggy Pop. <laughs> it's very like arty and, and greasy and slimy and like <laughs> and like I don't I don't really like listening to Tom Waits music no. though I get what I get on paper what it is about him that people like and I think earlier better more so than later Ugh. um <laughs> but I've seen footage of Tom Waits in like the late 70s and early 80s performing and I was like oh I get that like hmm. I get in the context of that live of a live performance of that, I get why that's so interesting and engaging if if unpleasant. And so this is where all of my like, you know, this ex hardcore guy listening to jazz uh, <laughs> that I've done in uh, the recent years comes in is it's like not that I not that I really want to describe this as jazz because I don't think that it is. It's jazz influenced, but I don't think that it's jazz. I don't think that it's jazz rock. I don't think it's jazz punk or whatever you want to call it or something like that. It's definitely inspired by what people think jazz is. Like you have your bluesy kind of like, you know, uh, heroin addiction, gritty New York kind of like uh, aesthetic. And like. There's the swing. There's a little bit of it in the rhythm. I think that's where the most jazzy aspect comes in, which is, I mean, fair enough. But it's not like, you know, it's not like the flat five, flat seven jazz chord, like kind of harmony. Like it's not the chords themselves aren't that weird sounding, though. I'm sure there's a fair amount of just like, what if I just lift this finger? Uh, But it's not I don't want to call it jazz because they didn't know what they were doing. I don't think. (laughs) <laughs> they were just like, yeah, it sounds weird. I lifted a finger and it's a weird chord. It's the Fugazi chord kind <laughs> yeah. of thing uh, of it just being like, I don't know what it is. It just sounds different, um, which is fine. And I think that's a fine creative tool uh, for any guitarist. Extended chords. I do all that kind of shit, but I don't, I'm not going to claim that I know what I'm doing. I, I have to go to Ulimu uh, guitar analyzer, whatever it is, and be like this note, this note, this note, this note. Oh, that's different. Seven different chords that it could be. What's the simplest one? I'm going to pick that and that's what I'm going to call it. I get that thought process in what's going on in the the guitar playing and the writing on this record. 
What I do as far as like that jazz influence on this that I do like, that I do get, and I think that it is something that a lot of times people maybe don't get about jazz is a lot of the ugly or wrong sounding or dissonant or off time things that you do are not necessarily have to be understood by the listener in terms of like music theory, but I think they're most effective when they can be understood by the listener in an expressive way. So where this is where my like unpleasant interpretation comes in of being like, you make the sour face. You're like, Ooh, to an idea that you hear in a song. And you're like, what, what you should be doing in in that moment is like, exploring what it evokes in you what feeling it evokes in you which i think is something that people don't do when they listen to jazz and they go like ah it's wrong notes <laughs> and that took a long time for me to figure out and it's you know probably really obvious to people who actually knew anything about jazz prior to their late 20s but <laughs> i don't know man i just think it just sucks no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, this record stinks uh, no. Uh, what if that was just my takeaway? It's like, well, oh, it's just bad. Yeah. <laughs> you can't play their instruments. No. Uh, no, I don't actually think that it's like, I don't think it's actually a bad record. I don't get a ton out of it, though. Like, I don't, I hear what they're going for, and like that jazz element is definitely there. And I've read lots of like people talking about it, like, mm, it's very, they're very jazzy. And, yeah, they are. That's what they're doing because, like, a lot of the Discord guys are like, doing like jazzy type stuff. Like, look at anything post Fugazi that like Joe Lally and or, or like yeah. Brendan Brenda Canty did. Listen to the aesthetics and be like, "Wow, I sure wish this sounded like Fugazi and not improvisational jazz." <laughs> uh, like the Joe Lally solo albums are just pretty rough, pretty rough. And they and then. They're interesting, too, because like my impression of them is they become more commercially accessible going yeah. forward. Yeah. They get on a major like they're on movie soundtracks going forward. So like that jazziness, I guess they managed to keep keep it accessible in a way that doesn't off put people, though the things that are kind of unpleasant and off putting, I feel are very intentional in a way that a lot there's a lot of that 90s. Noise rock does a lot of it, especially like Mm -hmm. they're trying to make something like harder to get into. It's a little more abrasive. It's a little more just like you don't get it, man. Like if you're like complaining about like certain elements of it, like if you're like, why do they got to sing about things like that? Like uh, it's just like we're like Henry Miller, like we're doing some (laughs) gross sex lyrics in our songs. I don't I didn't pay too much attention to the lyrics on this album, but. I know sexual content is like a main theme that they always sing about. So, um, and you know, a lot of the nineties, especially of the non, the alternative was trying to do something that was pushing boundaries. And like, I, it fit, I think it does fit more in with like the New York sensibilities, like helmets doing stuff at this time. Mm-hmm. Now uh, canceled swan swans were, you know, really entering into their like, Oh yeah, this is critical of, you know, appraised music stuff. Meanwhile, I'm like, the New York music I want to hear is White Zombies' La Sexorista that came out that same year. <laughs> I like Helmet, though. I do like, Meantime came out that year, and that's probably like another yeah. 
Which Rob Zombie is is where, you know, Girls Against Boys goes. <clears throat> kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like the advanced white uh, Rob Zombie white zombie. <laughs> what they're doing and I think that what one of the things that it did really catch me off guard on this record, knowing what they sounded like later and then hearing it this record and how different it is. What this to me, in terms of like what in ninety two, what this fits in with, it's Nick Cave uh yeah. and PJ Harvey, who both have records this year. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same kind of like, yeah, the punk blues thing and like the darkness and the grodiness <laughs> and kind of even gothy. But I've listened. So I listened to this record twice and I really enjoyed it on the first time. And I, I enjoyed it probably about the same. I don't think that it like the second listen didn't make me go like, oh, I love this. I was like, yeah, this is about the same. There's moments that I kind of like tune out on. And then there's stuff that like. I really enjoy. I love when the trumpet comes in, that one intro with the little trumpet trill. Yeah, what is that? That I actually wrote down the specific when the horns start playing. Uh is it can't do anything but love you babe? The fourth track in? Or is it or is it uh everything I do seems to cost me twenty dollars? Like the the actual like jazzy songs that they try and do? Yeah. Everything I do seems to cost me twenty dollars is the <laughs> little trumpet part. And it's <laughs> yeah. just this like you know, kind of jazz guitar, like bah, 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 kind of finger, finger plucked um, guitar, which is very Hoover, very uh, Abilene sounding. Like when that song came on, I was like, did someone cover this? I was like, why do I know this so well? And I think it's just very similar to something that's on like that Abilene record, uh, which is like post Hoover band. But like on the, you know, the first I think the first song is really good. Very Brendan Canty rhythm intro, drum intro, the uh, the the hi hat and like that kind of like kick kick snare. Yeah, I, this actually is almost a record that I could do. Maybe not track by track every single track, but like there's definitely like tracks to point out specifically. Yeah, my night of pleasures with the mud jacking contractors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the drum intro, the keys coming in there. I guess that's the, like maybe the sampler is maybe what that is. I'm not entirely sure. I liked the Rollins voice. That he's yeah. doing on this record, which apparently is like the this is the only record he's really doing that specific sounding voice. Yeah, he because he does very he sounds a lot like Henry around this time period, which if you throw it up against like the end of silence came out the same year. It's interesting comparisons there. And that's a band that went in the funk direction instead of the jazz direction. Yeah. <laughs> so there's jazzy stuff in Rollins band. I guess it'd be more bluesy, but. I did like that song has the like the falsetto one night of pleasure. Yeah. Backing vocal in there, which I liked. Yeah, I did, I, I like that song. I mean, I didn't dislike that song. I gave it like a three point two five. Like I, I enjoyed elements of it. I think the next song, though, Wow, Wow, Wow. I think that's the best song on the entire album. Yeah, that was the one that hooked me. Like I was like that first opening riff and that the chorus, the wow, wow, wow. Like, I was like, this is so <laughs> fun. It's just fun and cool and a little weird and uh i was trying to think of what exactly there's someone that it reminds me of specifically is it like brainworms did a little bit of this one's like it's like the most one of the most like rocking songs from front to back like just that doesn't like dip into like different parts and different like it's just more one of the more driving tracks on here i could see maybe brainworms doing something like that maybe a little mouth breather yeah, because it's more driving than mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I guess I wouldn't do like every single song, but like marching with matching wits with Flaming Frank, I was like, that's pretty solid. Can't do anything but love you, babe. I'd like just as much. Oh, this is the weird song. Uh, that's the one that has the weird. I guess it's a sample. It sounds like something mechanical, like tread thing. It's in the background. It's like this, like I don't know how to even. I can't imitate it. It sounds like a video game sound, like like a treadmill running through mud or something. Like it's just this weird. I don't. <laughs> I can't. I can't recreate it. But then I was like, that's probably one of the more like actual weird instruments on this on the or weird samples on the album it's more the record is kind of split like if there's there's a pretty clear a and b side in terms of how it's sequenced the a side being the more driving songs your more rocking stuff and then the b side being kind of your uh, like plush is like a noisy sample guitar this kind of like shapeless sort of industrial but more like early industrial I hated Plush. It's not my favorite moment. I hated it. It was just this feedbacky, noisy thing. It's like you can't tell what's really even going on with it. It's just it made I gave it a 1.5. I hated it. I, I hate songs like this. Bands do this kind of thing all the time where it's like, oh, we put this like weird experimentation that we thought sounded cool. And I'm like, but it's not enjoyable to listen to. Like, Oh, listen to that cool thing we did. It's like, but you didn't use it in a way that's fun to listen to. Like, and you and you did it for four minutes. It's too long. <laughs> yeah, uh, looking at my song ratings, I was like, oh, wasting away I actually rated higher than Wow Wow Wow. Oh, wasting away is great. Wasting yeah. away, wasting away sounds to me like fucked up, like twenty years early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Wasting Away is like the best song on the whole record. I had to I had to like re-look at my notes though. Cause yeah, it this it also felt the most like a Discord song. Even though they were never really on Discord records. They were only on Adult Swim at this point. Which might as well have been Discord because I had to look up Adult Swim Records was founded by Jeff Nelson, co-founder of Discord. Yeah. Who wanted to sign bands that didn't fit the sound of Discord. Or were not from the Washington, D.C. area. And, well, one, they were from the Washington, D.C. area, so they should have been considered. And it they sound like a Discord band. Like, I don't I don't know why what they were thinking. They were like, doesn't fit the sound. It's like Peterbilt. Yeah. Records, the Geese label. It's like, it's the... Like Sandwich. <laughs> it's the stuff Ian didn't sign. Really what all of those other little labels are. Cause he, and he was always like, yeah, you should... Somebody else should put this out. You should put this out. So you should start your own label. Everybody should start their own label and stop bugging me. Is <laughs> it just like, I don't want to put it out. Jeff, you do your own thing. Even though he was the co-founder. It's like, what? But uh, but also like the other bands on Adult Swim were the Holy Rollers and the Snakes, who both wind up on Discord later. So it's yeah. just like, what? what? I, maybe, yeah, maybe he's just like, I don't like it. That's why I don't want it on my label. <laughs> well, that's... Ian passing on Frodus because he was like, yeah, it reminds me of Hobbits. <laughs> he just has like very specific reasons to not put things out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also every time I kept reading Adult Swim records, I was like, huh? The Cartoon Network thing? They set yeah. their own label? They've ruined They've taken that word. That is theirs. Even though that was a thing before them. But 
Yeah, it, so it's after Wasting, and I'm wondering if, Wasting Away, I'm wondering, is that the actual album split point? Let's see what the LP version cuts at. Side A is My Night of Pleasure through Wasting Away, and Side B is Plush through yeah. Everywhere I Go. I seem to spend $20. Man, yeah. hard relate. Yeah, it really is Plush, your noise track, your jazz tracks, all the quiet songs on the B-side. I didn't hate I didn't hate Taste All the Fruit or Little Buccaneer, but it yeah, the B side is it starts with plush and that's the part where I'm like, motherfucker, I hate this. <laughs> and everywhere I go is also just the same intro of everything I do. It's like a, a reprise. Yeah. <laughs> and just taste all the fruit and little buccaneer don't stand out enough for me to like the B side as much. Yeah, I, that is that's the turning point for me then. Because that's where I start to go from these aren't bad to I don't like this anymore. I don't want to listen anymore. Yeah. It, for me, it's a fun record because it's, it's kind of like, yeah, more, you know, Fugazi-ish post-hardcore stuff. I mean, I always love this stuff. It's like a Circus Lupus or, you know, anything like that. Not as bombastic as Cir- Circus Lupus. But and then on the B side, I'm like, this is interesting. That's a creative idea. Reminds me of Hoover. Or, or it's like the B side, especially. I, I kept thinking like, oh, this is like. If Morphine was a band I liked, because <laughs> I've tried listening to Morphine and I was like, not into it. Just maybe give them another try. But that kind of jazz rock thing, I was like, I want this to be better than it is. And I'm just not clicking with it. So this the B side of this does that for me. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that it was like, oh, it was the first record. It's a good place to start with. And I and I disagreed with that statement. I don't think it's this is. I don't think this is where you should start this band for anyone. I think no. you would go with maybe the next record or the one after that. Like they're they're bigger. They're touching go stuff. That would probably be a better introduction to them because even a lot of the comments that I read about this album cuz like shockingly very little written online about this band. Instagram was actually like my biggest source for like people talking about it and a lot of the comments on it were like cuz they did a reissue not too long ago. Drastic Plastic put it out and there and a lot of the comments were like people getting their copies and saying, oh, yeah, this is this is where this band start. Like, this is the early stuff. You can see where they're going with their sound. And it's just like I don't think it's a full picture. I also don't think it's a good it's like the best representation of their sound going forward. Now, within the parameters of our show, you know, you had to pick something. So, like, I get why you chose it. But ultimately, if I was to be like, let's really dig into Girls Against Boys, I would probably pick their most well-known record yeah venus venus luxure is the probably the one to actually start with yeah and i think i think that one's more consistently paced and probably more consistently focusing on like the swirly guitars (laughs) and less like driving crooner (laughs) you're right with the driving crooner baby why are there so many different like installations and art things where it's like you can only see what it looks like if you're standing in a certain spot. <laughs> trying to make it look fake. <laughs> I so I was definitely surprised by like this band's reach because in all reality, like even their like most well-known music, it's pretty hard for people to get into, right? Like I don't think that that's the touch and go stuff. It doesn't seem like it has that much commercial appeal. But that's apparent. That's where they like got all their attention from yeah so 
after this album, they go on their first major tour, opening for Fugazi in 1992. Like a big, pretty big tour of the U.S. and their opening. They then later signed with Touch and Go Records and then Geffen after that. They would tour the side stage of Lollapalooza. They're a Lollapalooza band. So weird. They have songs in Clerks, Mallrats, Suburbia, the 90s Suburbia, not the 80s one. Uh, and the the Psycho remake, like they <laughs> they're in that, as well as 200 cigarettes, like the New Year's Eve movie with like Courtney Love and Dave Chappelle. They appeared on the John Stewart show when he had just had his talk show on like with VH1 or whatever. He was on a hundred or maybe it was MTV. Uh, he was on 120. They were on 120 minutes, which that makes sense. They were on Conan O'Brien. Like I, I guess this was like we still need to find our next Nirvana. And I could see Girls Against Boys actually kind of tapping into that weirder side of Nirvana. I could see maybe out of most of the the punks who got record deals based off of Nirvana's success, this probably being the closest to actually like sounding like Nirvana or at least like doing the weird stuff like Nirvana did because like Jawbox is pretty straightforward. I mean, there's some interesting stuff on there. Uh, Sam, I am straightforward. You know, I guess there's also some people trying to get signed up off of Green Day, but yeah. But Green Day was also an attempt to sign another Nirvana, too. So, yeah, uh, Shudder to Think might be the, like the weirdest band to probably get a deal based <laughs> or like drive like Jehu, you know, <laughs> like to get major label deals based off of like them being like, well, let's just find anything and sign it. That's weird that we don't understand. So I think it's Girls with Boys kind of like actually to a, an exec would be like, this kind of sounds like Nirvana. There's something we m- probably often overlook when we talk about like why did these bands get signed in the 90s and we we kind of know why as far as like they were just shotgunning like anything might work but something that occurs to me now is i do we know what girls against boys was like live i mean i'm sure there's footage out there i haven't looked myself because you have to remember too a lot of bands got signed or got meetings with A&R people based on people coming to see them play. Yeah. Uh, so it's very possible that they were just like, this is engaging. People are into it. Like, this can fill a room. And yeah, I, I get the impression that they're tight enough musicians to be able to put on a really good show. I think that's that's probably a big part of it. Like, uh, you know, like Drive Like Jehu. Like, that's... And that might be why I'm thinking making this connection now is it's like on a record drive like jehu mm, probably not that's not major label music why <laughs> why would it why would you pick that put that on there but you watch footage of drive like jehu performing exciting extremely fun to watch so like yeah i don't know put that on an opening slot in front of uh you know your major label headliner on a tour it'll turn some heads it'll sell some cds yeah uh, I pulled up their appearance on like Conan O'Brien from 1998 just to see what they do. I don't think visually they're like doing anything really. They're kind of straightforward on this. I don't know. Maybe that's not the best example. There is like footage of them in 1992 at the Middle East. It's like their whole set. Where is the Middle East? Is that um is that Baltimore? Oh, it's uh Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah. There's like two sets from 92 there. One in January and one in May. Very interesting. This account. I guess somebody maybe worked there. Yeah, they're not like doing anything super wild. So I don't know. I don't know if the live show is what it is. But again, it could just be like 90s trying to get, you know, 
that alternative thing going. They would have been on a major two around the same time that like new metal was beginning to take off. Yeah. So like dark, weird sounds were definitely like just more front and center with rock music than ever at that point. So, yeah, still an odd choice for a major label signing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'm not mad I listened to it. You know, it's funny. They're famous for like being the band with like two bass players, too. And I feel like this record doesn't even really like it has that. It says Eli plays bass on it, but it doesn't feel like there's it's a two bass, <laughs> two bass band on this really. album at this point. They were two guitar band for half the record. So it's funny. Yeah, I would have liked like maybe the samples to be more of a thing. The horn was cool. Like Nate Larson's horn work was cool. And to borrow him from Shudder to Think was really neat. That, I think, is what makes it special. And the A-side having a couple stronger songs. And I like the vocals. I think they're very... I like Henry Rollins' style vocals, so I definitely was into this. Scott's vocals here. Was Scott the singer in Rain? I don't even remember that now. Uh, He played guitar and vocals, but John Kirsten also did guitar and vocals. And Bert Queros did bass and vocals. So everybody sang in Rain. Yeah, okay. It might be Bert does more vocals. I have to listen again. But yeah, I would recommend starting with a different record by them. But this is worth checking out just to see kind of like where they started. Where they started post Brendan Canty. Because I, I, I wouldn't say probably go back to the EP 80s versus 90s. That's even less of what they're doing later. This record, unfortunately, is not on Spotify. You have to listen to it on Bandcamp or YouTube. But the Bandcamp version sounds really good, so it's, I recommend listening there. Which you can buy it, too, I think. Yeah. And easy enough to stream from Bandcamp. You can close yeah. your uh, phone when you're listening to stuff on Bandcamp. Yeah. Unlike YouTube. <laughs> Unless you pay for YouTube Red. or They don't even call it that anymore. <laughs> Premium. Uh, you want to rate it? We haven't rated stuff in a while. Um, I'm going to give it... I'm giving it a 3.25 overall out of 5. I'd probably say like a 3.75, uh, bump it up to four for rate your music just yeah. because you don't get the quarter points, but ticks a lot of boxes for me and only misses a few. So, or only really does a few things that I don't like, but yeah. Well, all right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the show. You can follow us on all social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook threads. Uh, <laughs> the more I plug it, the more it dies. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think everybody was like, yeah, I'll try this out because of how easy it was to set up your account. Uh, now we all just are going to have ghost threads accounts because we can't delete our threads without deleting our Instagrams. So, yeah. Cool trick, Meta. Um, you just been zupped. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I'll just let it sit silently like my Hive account. Yeah. And yeah, I don't board. need to go delete it. I'm just wasting their server space. <laughs> yeah. They'll purge us whenever Threads dies because it, it just maybe if it had some of the functionality and Instagram's and Facebook's algorithm wasn't so trash. <laughs> Their algorithm was worse than Twitter's algorithm for showing you stuff you didn't want to see, though. Now, Twitter's algorithms real bad. But um, anyway, dating our references. But all of that's at PunkLottoPod, PunkLottoPod, gmail.com, voicemail line 202688-PUNK. And uh, yeah, like I said at the top, patreon.com slash punkladopod. One dollar, all the bonus audio, as well as access to the Discord 
And if you join the ten dollar tier, you get to choose what album you, we devote an entire episode to. Forgot to plug that at the top, but I think we got one of those coming up soon. Looking forward to uh, doing that one. But uh, next week we're gonna go off off the season model, and we'll uh, we'll take a couple weeks just doing like other stuff before we dive into Skagas. But thank you everyone, and we will talk to you later. To order Punk, call the number on your screen. Rush delivery is available. Remember, this special offer is not sold in stores.